True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. 2019 was something of a bounce back year for first basemen. In 2018, there were only two first base eligible players that scored 500 fantasy points. Two. In 2019, there were 10. Now, it's a little deceiving. It's based on the 2019-20 player pool. But uh, all the players that are currently eligible at first base, only two of them scored 500 fantasy points in 2018, 10 of them in 2019. So welcome back, first base. Also, it was just a good year for offense. And welcome back to the show here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Hope you all enjoyed your three-day weekend. Adam Azer with Scott White and Chris Towers as we get ready for our first base preview. Hey, Chris. Hey! Whoa! Technically, technically a six-day weekend for me, but I'm I'm coming on the podcast anyway because there's fantasy baseball today doesn't take any days off except for the three days off we just took. <laughs> That's right. And Scott White, Scott, how's first base? Uh, how's first base looking this year? First base is looking fine. Fine. It's it's not the deepest position. It's not the shallowest position. It's it's fine. It's fine. Okay. How about this? You've done a lot of mock drafts, probably some real drafts. Give me a first baseman you find yourself drafting often. I find myself drafting often. Um, hmm. I don't really feel like I have a go-to first baseman. It's just kind of who happens to fall to me. I, maybe Josh Bell, just because I feel like he's been downgraded unfairly after a rough second half. But still a very impressive season overall. So I'm going to say Josh Bell is somebody I draft a lot. Okay. Well, Josh Bell is part of a you know fairly big group of first base eligible players going within 20 picks. DJ LeMayhew, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Max Muncy, Jose Abreu, Josh Bell. Uh, would you say you're you're living in that range a lot in the like 70th overall sort of range? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if I get the right spot at the turn, the first, second round turn, I'm taking Freddie Freeman. If I get, like, the fourth or fifth pick and Cody Bellinger's there, I'm taking Cody Bellinger. But otherwise, I'm I'm inclined to wait till the last of what seems like a pretty, pretty solid elite tier. 
Uh, and I might even be willing to wait beyond it. Like Trey Mancini performed like an elite player last year. He's not being valued as such. And it's fair to downgrade him some just because it was surprising. But there's not a lot of reason for skepticism within the numbers themselves. So I'm fine with like a Trey Mancini as my first baseman. Certainly in a points league, Carlos Santana is, is always reliable in that format and never seems to get enough credit. So I end up with him in that format. Um Matt Olson, it just depends on where he goes, but Matt Olson is another first baseman who I have a lot of confidence in, more than it seems like the general drafting public does. Well, he goes so, in that range. So yeah. who would you rather have, Bell or Olson? I rank Bell higher. I would rather have Bell. So I'm, I'm more likely to end up with Bell. He goes, um, depending on what number you're looking at, 17 picks later than Olsen on average, but average doesn't mean it happens in every draft. Chris, has there been a first baseman you found yourself drafting a lot? The pride of Fountain Valley, California, Frederick Charles Freeman. I love, if I'm picking at the end of the first round, I really like getting Freddie Freeman coming back around because it gives you such a solid base across really... Four categories, and he shouldn't be a zero in stolen bases. I, you know, it, it's it's a situation where it almost feels like he's a little bit overlooked among the elite hitters. You know, he was a top ten hitter last season. Um, there are some questions about how consistent of a power bat he can be. Although in in his case, I think basically, I think three out of the last four years, he's pretty much been an elite power bat. So I, I buy it. Yeah, and you know he actually played through an injury in September. Yeah, an injury. He had arthroscopic surgery after the season. He was horrible in September. He hit two sixty four. He slugged three eighty nine. Freddie Freeman with only two mm-hmm. home runs. If you look at his first five months, this is an interesting comparison. You look at his first five months. He had a nine sixty four OPS. I'll give him his first five months and give him a hundred and fifty five game pace, and compare it to Cody Bellinger who played one hundred and fifty six games. Bellinger was definitely better. It was close. Bellinger batted 305, Freeman 299. Bellinger hit 47 home runs. Freeman was on pace for 41. Freeman actually had more runs plus RBIs. Freeman was on pace for seven steals. Bellinger stole 15 bases. And Bellinger had slightly better play discipline. So this is not a Freeman is was better than Bellinger, but it was actually pretty close. And he's going 17th overall uh, in Roto yeah. League. So well, that's... Yeah, that's stunning to me that that's that's how it's what it's averaged out to. I have him in my late first round, and I, I feel like that's the caliber that he is. That's what he's proven to be. I understand it was a poor finish at the end, but perfectly plausible excuse. He had elbow surgery right after the season ended, was playing with bone spurs. Uh, his track record says a lot more. What his track record says is that he is one of the safest bets for batting average in the entire player pool. I think what ends up happening that pushes him down is it it just becomes the spiral effect where, okay, a a base stealer like Trevor Story, Jose Ramirez, possibly even Fernando Tatis. I don't don't know if he's technically going earlier than Freddie Freeman, but that that same range, they end up going ahead of him because of the scarcity of steals in a Roto League specifically. And then you start to get more aces ahead of Freddie Freeman too, because there's a clear scarcity there. And, uh, and he winds up in a spot where he's he's a discount just because he doesn't meet the same 
he doesn't meet those intense scarcities that the base stealers and the high end starting pitchers do. Real quick, guys, Nolan Arenado or Freddie Freeman? That's the comp I was just looking at. I pulled up their last four years, and Arenado's hit for more over the fence power. He's driven in more runs on a per game basis. The the runs scored are pretty close. Identical batting average, twenty more steals over four years for Freeman. So a little bit of an edge there. You give the edge to to Arenado, but I think it's probably closer than most people think. Plus, third base is deep a position that goes on for miles. I mean, it goes it goes on for half the draft. Stud third baseman going off the board. Uh, there's not really such a thing as position scarcity in 2020, but still, every position kind of pales in comparison to third base. Short shortstop's kind of up there too. But first base still can't really compare to third base in, in terms of high-end offerings. So yeah. just for that reason, I would probably prioritize Freeman over Arenado. Here's a good example of that. If you just look at fantasy pros, they have different position eligibility than CBS does. Miguel Sano, for example, is third base and first base eligible on fantasy pros. He is not first base eligible currently on CBS, although he will be, right, Miguel Sano? Yes, the first week of the season. Right, sure. so he's going to start. But just, you know, for these purposes, Miguel Sano is the number 14 first baseman on Fantasy Pros in average draft position and number 18 at third base. Danny Santana's number 20 at third base, and he's number 17 at first base. So third base is deeper. It's not a lot. I mean, it's a pretty deep position itself, first base. You're looking at guys like Edwin Encarnacion, 18th off the board, Luke Voigt, 21, uh, Christian Walker, 25, Joey Votto, 29. Daniel Murphy, 31. I don't know if you want any of these guys. Yandy Diaz, 33rd first base eligible player off the board. So there's definitely depth, but it's not quite third base. Um, all right, so those are the guys we're drafting off, and we like Freddie Freeman. That range with Matt Olson, Josh Bell for Scott. Okay, I, yeah, it's no, no breaking news that we like Freddie Freeman, but it seems like we like him more than others. Which first baseman do you avoid in draft, Scott? I avoid – I tend to avoid Reese Hoskins. And I actually have him in my bust column. There is an interesting storyline going on with him where apparently recognizing the need for changes after hitting under 200 the final four months of the season. Yes, under 200 the final four months of the season. He has reworked his his stance this offseason. His setup looks very different. His hands are much lower. There are some other changes there. Um, and I one of the things I say pretty often is the smallest changes can make the biggest difference in baseball. I just have no idea what kind of changes, what, what kind of difference these changes are going to make for Reese Hoskins. So I'm still proceeding with the idea. He's going to be a liability for batting average, just elevates the ball, puts the ball in the air way too often for somebody who doesn't hit it especially hard. And, uh, Unless it's specifically a points leagues, and I know I'm going points league, and I know I'm going to be able to take advantage of his high walk rate. I don't want to pay the what is that the like a hundred eighth or ninth round price tag for him. Yeah, he's someone who I just I wish he was going a little bit later. Same. I yeah. I have. I don't want to say confidence because I can't say there's confidence when you look at the underlying numbers and there's not really anything to take confidence from with Reese Hoskins. He was just as bad as he looked last year, but I want to be able to bet on that, the skill set and, and the track record of, of being an above average power bat with 
better contact skills than he showed last year. Why is the home run to fly ball rate so low every year for Hoskins? It seemed, I don't know. He if doesn't there was... hit the ball that hard. Well, he, he, I, he puts I, it I also... in the air a ton. He doesn't hit it that hard. Well, that'll do it. 16%, 14% last two years. I think it's more that he hits it really inconsistently. When he does hit the ball well, he hits the ball really well. Uh, there's just, you see that in the infield fly ball rate. You see that in the uh, the spray of the launch angle. He's got, it just, especially last year, his swing was just, it was messed up. He hit the ball kind of all over the place. He was, you know, in terms of his exit velocity on home run, on fly balls and line drives, he was actually not elite, but still very good. Like not far off from Edwin Encarnacion, Paul Goldschmidt, Manny Machado, uh, about 70th overall. But the problem is he hits a lot of infield pop-ups. He hits a lot of like, Really weakly hit balls. Well, that's and it, that's the pop ups. Yeah, the pop ups will really lower it because the infield fly balls, as Fangraph calls them, 15.3%. I mean, that's just astronomical. So that'll lower your home run to fly ball rate, obviously. Okay. Scott says he's not drafting Reese Hoskins. Chris, who do you find yourself avoiding? I have a hard time seeing any situation in which I'll take Jose Abreu in 2020. I think he's just. The definition of a jag at first base. He was 12th in first base in OPS last season at 834. You know, he drove in a ton of runs. He makes a lot of contact. But overall, I just think you're basically chasing an outlier RBI season. And if that comes back down to earth, he doesn't really do anything all that well. Batting average, though. And it will. The, the RBIs were ridiculous. He had 123. He led all first basemen in RBIs. But uh, he batted 337 with runners in scoring position. So I assume that that'll come down. But he actually has been an unbelievably consistent RBI producer. But usually it's around 100. But he has 100 RBIs almost every year of his career, yeah. Jose Abreu. Yeah. Um, he's, he's virtually a lock for 30 homers, 100 RBI, and probably uh, probably like a 285-ish. Yeah. He had 284 last year. Um, it's, not that he's, but, it, it's not that he's bad. I agree yeah. with you though, he, uh, Chris. I don't. I almost called you Heath. Uh, I I don't. Like, he's going 80th. I feel like he should be more like 100th because he's 33. Yeah. And there's. Yeah, that seems early. It does. Right. I, I would say that Jose Abreu is probably the roto specialist. If Carlos Santana is the clear points league specialist at the position, Abreu with that batting average consistency but poor uh, on base skills overall is probably the roto specialist. But that mm. still seems top 80. Still seems. Uh, Kind of nuts. Cool. All right. So I, I want to throw out a name that I'm avoiding, and he's going kind of late enough where maybe I'll rethink it, about 60th overall. But I don't know what's special about Anthony Rizzo. Now, if I can get him 60th overall in a points league, I think that's really good because he's also sort of becoming a points league specialist, Anthony yeah, Rizzo. Yeah, he is, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't stand out. Everybody else is hitting more home runs. He's staying the same as he's always been. He doesn't stand out anywhere, really. Um, so... And and he hasn't, you know, he doesn't hit lefties as well as he used to, and that's something that kind of happens as as left-handed hitters get older. In in certain a lot of cases, I'm seeing. So I don't really, I look, I am not dying to get Anthony Rizzo on my team. It would have to be really good value. And 60th overall in a points league would be really good value in a roto league. Yeah. I still think like I'd rather have Ray Muto. I John Carlos Stanton's going one spot ahead of him. I'd rather have Stanton. I just think there's so much more upside. Uh, Rizzo is kind of boring to me. 
Yeah, very consistent, but the power numbers, while the rest of the leagues have been going up, his has kind of been going down. It Huge difference in terms of format, but I have not in a traditional 5 by 5 categories or Roto League had have yet to feel the the impulse to draft him. Uh, now, yeah, Scott, would be a very different story. Still, clearly, still a stud in a points league because that K to BB rate is so good. You start BB. You start talking about OBP leagues, though. You change batting average to OBP leagues. Where do you think Rizzo should go there? Because he's routinely above 380. He could get you a 400 OBP sometimes. He's definitely a standout there. So, how would things change if it were an OBP league? Uh it would. It, uh, it would. It would make him. I think a clearer choice there where he yeah, I mean, the, is going rate. I, I don't think he would deserve to go higher than his going rate. The other thing to keep in mind there is he gets hit by a lot of pitches, which is something that just has tertiary value in a roto league because it puts you on base and gives you opportunities to runs, but otherwise has no value. And it's not necessarily the kind of thing we look at, but you know, he's been hit by at least 20 pitches, I think in four of the last five years, it's, it's a, a legitimate skill that he has that doesn't necessarily help you that much in fantasy. So you think 60th overall would be a good value for Rizzo in an OBP league? 5x5 five five yeah. OBP. Okay. Uh, so speaking about all this then, we've given you some names we like, some we don't at their value. Do you have an overall first base strategy, Chris? No. It, it's kind of more than any of the other positions at the infield. It's sort of... Like, I'm fine taking Freddie Freeman or Cutting Bellinger early on, but I don't really have an approach when I'm going in to a draft at first base. Scott? Yeah, neither do I. I just kind of want the best value. There's a point where a drop-off happens, and I would consider it a failure if I had to settle for a first baseman beyond that. And that's about that's about the 120, 130 range in terms of where these players are taken overall. So, you know, I I can afford to pass up like Josh Bell and Matt Olson, but once like, I mean, once like Carlos Santana and I mean, even Yuli Gurriel feels like a bit of a concession if you're having to settle for him at the spot. He's also on my bust list, um, but I could live with him better than what comes afterward. So it starts to get dangerous there, but there are what what's interesting about first base is you don't have any like stolen bases aren't at all a consideration here except for Danny Santana he is the one exception and Cody Bellinger will give you a decent steals total too but obviously you're you're kind of he's kind of out of your hands he's he goes when he goes and if you have a spot there great but it's not something you can target Danny Santana is the one exception there and He's he's just so un, he feels so untrustworthy with the bat at a position where there are a lot of big bats that I don't want to make him my aim at first base. If I do draft him for steals, it's more likely to feel like an outfield spot. I think that the good thing about first base is that there's this group that we've already talked about: the Olsen, Bell, Muncie. If you choose to play him there, uh, a Brayu Goldschmidt group that goes late enough after the top 60 picks where you can build your pitching staff and still have a very good first baseman who could hit 35 home runs 
that's good. You don't have to sacrifice aces to draft first baseman, which is probably why I don't want Rizzo, mm-hmm. and probably why I'm probably not going to draft Pete Alonso, quite frankly, because yep. you know it, now I might draft Pete Alonso if, if like I took a, two pitchers and then it's Alonso or something like that. But if I want two pitchers with my first three picks, good chance I'm not going to have Pete Alonso on my team. Uh, but I would be willing. I, I would be willing to sacrifice starting pitching for Bellinger and Freeman. I think after that, you know, I think my guess is right. we're going to want to really build the crux of our pitching staff if we're not getting one of those elite, those two first basemen. Yeah, that's that's probably why I end up with a lot of Olsen and Bell, too. Not just because I like their value, but because of what I would be giving up to take one of those first basemen ahead of them. And I got to tell you, I'd, I'd be happy. You didn't mention this name as like a fallback option. I Until he stops doing it, I, I'd be... Happy, uh, happy's not the right word. I'd be okay getting Edwin Encarnacion as my starting first baseman in the break glass in case of emergency scenario. Because he was third best on a per game basis in points leagues last year. And he hits, he's going to have a crappy batting average, but he's going 169th overall. Edwin Encarnacion is probably going to hit 35 home runs if he stays healthy. So he's the third there with Rizzo and Santana that clearly better in points leagues. Clearly better in points leagues. And I think the biggest risk factor for Encarnacion is just playing time at his age. Uh, he's confined to DH and the White Sox have some other bats they might want to mix in there. So that's why even in a points league, I'm not enthusiastic about drafting him. But I could tolerate it a little more in that format right. than in Roto where you know he's going to sink your batting average. Or there's a good chance he will anyway. Okay, so we'll get into average draft position in a little bit. This is sort of a random note but you know Anthony Rizzo is it was kind of what inspired me because he's had a an OPS let me see if I have the number here around 900 oh come on Anthony Rizzo okay gotcha um 899 or better in five of his last six seasons I was right I was getting there Chris 899 OPS or better in five of his last six seasons he's I knew that one yeah sure he's an interesting case because so much of it is OBP and not as much slugging but I just took a look at what does a 900 OPS mean these days? All right, so the last five years, here are the amount of hitters who have had a 900 OPS or better. 11, 16, 23, then down to 11 in 2018, and up to 29 hitters last year had a 900 OPS or better. Uh, Fun fact, in 2000, 19 hitters had an OPS over 1,000. That was steroids, you know, at their best. But 29 hitters had a 900 OPS last year. So if somebody has a 900 OPS, like, it might not be that big of a deal. It's good. It's really good. But even an 850 OPS, I don't know. What do you do with that? So just something to keep in mind as you look at first baseman, third baseman, there's going to be a lot of them with, with high OPSs. But When you say 29, that was what was the minimum for playing? Was it just qualifiers? I did qualifiers, yeah. 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 Okay. 29 players had a 900 OPS or better. All right, so over to first base. Uh, we've talked a little bit about strategy. Does it change at all in different formats? Probably not, right? Well, uh, there are more options in a points league. We just gave three. Well, four, because Reese Hoskins, I didn't know. So Rizzo, Hoskins, Carlos Santana, the obvious one, and then Edwin Encarnacion, I think make for much better starters in a points league than they do in 5 by 5 And that that builds in more opportunity to wait, I think. Yeah, Santana is top 10, I think, five years in a row in points leagues. 
even if he doesn't have the standout season he had last year when he was a top five first baseman, he is a great option. I just don't know. I think everybody knows that in points leagues. So he might be like he might be like an eighth eighth round pick or something like that in a points league, and like He'll a sixteenth round but, pick in a roto league. You know, but still, usually what seems like a discount every now and then it'll do a points league draft where somebody is just so. So all about Santana that he'll go in like round five or six and okay, fine. They can have him. But if it's, it's, it's often that he, it's often that he falls to a range that ends up being a discount at that format, even though just by what you're used to seeing in mock drafts and ADP, it doesn't seem like a discount. If you're in an OBP league, uh, who are we focusing on? I mean, certainly Rizzo. Who has much more value in OBP leagues? Santana. Yeah, the the same guys we talked about. But, you know, Reese Hoskins, if if we're operating under the presumption that it's he's a low bat, he's a low source. Well, he walk, I think he led the majors in walks last year. Hoskins did. He definitely so his OBP first actually baseman. ended up being over 360, even though he hit, yeah. what, two, 220? 226, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so 360 is good. Luke Voigt, we should mention, 378 OBP last year. Yeah. Max Muncy walks. Max Muncy walks, you know. That's yeah. one good thing about him. Um, Josh, but yeah, I, I would say uh, looks like, I don't know, Chris, you want to get in here, but Rizzo, Santana, these are not necessarily your OBP leaders. These are guys who gain value. Rizzo, Santana, Luke Voigt, Max Muncy, Reese Hoskins. Yeah, I think one of the nice things about you know, points leagues and on base percentage leagues, they they're going to end up. You're going to see similar guys getting a bump in one versus the other, uh, because you are taking something that has no direct value in a traditional roto league, and and you're giving them both value there, and you're not worried about batting average. So, you know, it it's going to be a lot of the same names. Gelson No might be an exception to that because he strikes out so much, which hurts in a points sure. league. But he also walks a lot, so he'll have an OPP about 100 points higher than his batting average, and that'll raise his value in those those categories leagues that just substitute OBP and, in for batting average. You know, Joey Votto's a pretty forgotten guy in a traditional 5x5, five five, but in on-base percentage league, he's probably still going to be pretty good. He wasn't as great last year, but he's coming off four straight years of an OP on base, at least 417 before last year. And Another, so no, by the way, obviously still has to gain first base yeah. eligibility in standard CBS leagues, but that's the expectation. Votto's another guy who can't hit lefties anymore. Two straight years is terrible against the Southpaws. So out of a $260 budget, how much should Cody Bellinger go for? I have him 35 to 40, I would guess. I'm sure I have him over 40. Um, pro- I think I have him at 41. We'll pull that up in a second, but I think I have him at 41. And obviously I do head-to-head auction values too, but usually when you're talking auction, you're talking to Roto League. And yes, I have him for 41. Out of a $260 budget, how much should Pete Alonso go for? I have him for 24. So you see the drop-off there between number one and three. Although I should point out that the drop-off between the first five hitters and uh, everyone else 
I maybe maybe uh there may be Garrett Cole and Alex Bregman in there too, but there's a big drop off just after that first group that goes beyond even the within a position type of considerations. Okay, how much for Paul Goldschmidt? Sixteen. Does anybody want Paul Goldschmidt this year? Eh. It seems He'd, like it, some people do. I do. It'd have to be an auction where he's a real value. You know, like if if it's one of those auction leagues where he ends up going for like 12 bucks, I think I could justify it. But other than that, I, I have a really... Because the, the thing with him is that's two years in a row now where he's needed a big second half to salvage his season. And unlike in 2018, he wasn't really able to do it in 2019. Like he... His final numbers were fine, but it wasn't. 2018, he looked like Paul Goldschmidt by the end. 2019, he didn't. My concern is that these cold streaks, and I'm not saying he's going to start the season slow again, but I'm saying at some point there's going to be a stretch where he's just not right. And as he gets older and as as the athleticism wanes, I worry more and more that those are going to get longer and he's not going to hit as well when he gets out of them to make up for it. I think one of the challenging things, though, is sorting out the group that I keep referencing. LeMahieu, mm-hmm. Olsen, Goldschmidt, Muncie, Abreu, Bell. Now, if we want to remove LeMahieu and Muncie and just say they're second baseman and you're almost certainly going to play them at second base instead of first, we can do that. In which case, sorting out Olsen, Goldschmidt, Abreu, Bell. Scott, they're going within 20 picks of each other. You know, How would you sort them out? Olsen, Goldschmidt, Abreu, Bell. So I rank them very differently than the order they're going here. I actually rank Bell first of this group, even though he's going last. And then I have Olsen. Uh, I do have Goldschmidt ahead of Abreu, but I I think Goldschmidt is actually the le- one I'm least likely to draft. Uh, he He is my number one bust at the first base position. And I've mentioned I have a few of them. But we'll get into that more later, because I'm sure that segment is coming up. Yes, it is. Chris, you want to take a gander at that? That would be Olsen, Goldschmidt, Abreu, Bell. Which which of that group am I most likely to draft? Yeah, whatever you want to say about them. You want to rank them? You want to trash them? I like Bell most. Um, I I feel like Matt Olsen is being drafted closer to his ceiling than I'm comfortable with, and you know, one of the things when I did my sleep, my bus column last year, one of the, you know, I did like six guiding principles for how I go about identifying my bus. And I didn't include Matt Olson, but one of the things that I did put was don't pay full price for skills that are abundant. And Matt Olson is kind of just a power hitter. Now, he's a very, very good power hitter, but it's the same reason why I'm not going to pay the Pete Alonzo price is because I think both of those guys played closer to their ceilings in 2019 than their, you know, mid-level or their median range of expectation. All right. I think it's time to get through sleepers, breakouts and busts. Here we go. Scott, I'll let you start. Who's your favorite sleeper first baseman this year? My favorite sleeper is Yandy Diaz, who I feel like everybody just kind of, forgot about because he had a rough second half where he was dealing with a stress fracture in his foot didn't play much uh came back for the postseason but i think even was dealing with it some then but like the the gamble the rays made on him and giving up the higher rated jake bowers 
in a trade because they saw how hard Diaz hit the ball and hoped they could get him to elevate better. It, it paid off. I mean, his his he became a much more productive power hitter. Now, he still wasn't like a fly ball hitter. He still was a low fly ball rate. But especially given how hard he hits the ball, the home run to fly ball rate, nothing outlandish about that. He ended up with 14 home runs in about half the season's time, also 20 doubles. And uh, uh, I've seen 12-team leagues where he goes entirely undrafted. My biggest concern with Diaz would be that they just have so many able bodies mm-hmm. there that maybe he doesn't end up playing as regularly as he needs to to be a reliable mixed league option. But he is he looks like option number one at third base. And he can also play first base, obviously. That's why we're talking about him here. And okay. particularly in a points league, he strikes out so little that uh that his his per game production last year was up there with some of the the high end types at the position. Yandy Diaz for Scott. Chris, who's your favorite sleeper? I really like Ryan Braun. <laughs> Ryan Braun just gets forgotten about. Oh, you're being serious? Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. Ryan Braun gets forgotten about entirely, and he's not first base eligible to start the season. But he, the expectation is he will be playing first base regularly and should get it. Uh, pretty early on. And over the last three seasons, he's averaged a 270 average, 20 homers, 11 steals. This is strictly a roto and particularly a daily lineups p- play. But Ryan Braun is being drafted as if he has absolutely nothing left. And he's still a really productive, you know, five category contributor. Uh, I'll also throw in Justin Smoke was one of the biggest ex-WOBA to WOBA underperformers last season. Ryan Braun's going to split time between the outfield and first base in Milwaukee. I like both of those guys if they get a if they get five starts a week. Okay. So what's interesting is Avisal Garcia mm-hmm. is the third of that trifecta. Like when Braun's playing first base, Garcia will be in the outfield. When Braun's in the outfield, Smoke will be at first base. Um I think he's probably my favorite of the three. And they they paid him more than they paid Smoke. They paid him mm-hmm. um, yeah, Smoke as is, if he's I think going third. to play more. Yeah, I think Smoke plays the least out of that three. I, yeah. I mostly like Ryan Braun as a late round uh, deep sleeper for a, a roto and a daily lineup. I, it, Braun's talked about retiring after this year, right? I, I just mm-hmm. wonder if he gets, they kind of take it easy with him. It's just going to be kind of a ceremonial role for him this year. But. Who knows? All right, who's your favorite breakout first baseman, Chris Towers? Luke Voigt. I know Scott really likes Luke Voigt, and so I had to jump in there before he <laughs> could grab him. Luke Voigt, before the abdominal tear, basically backed up everything he did in 2018. Obviously, it wasn't quite yeah, as drastic, but he was close. really, really good last year. Well, you know, he had an 885 OPS, and that is mm-hmm. pretty good, but again, it's not great. But also, it was it was mostly on base percentage. It was two seventy eight, three ninety two, four ninety three. Uh, you say that like it's a bad thing. He was it on pace kind for of a bad thirty thing. homers and nearly two hundred combined runs in RBI. Yeah, I mean the counting stats are going to be good. That that's true. I I think he's a streaky guy, so it's somewhat hard to know what to make of him in small samples. But well, like pretty much everything we've seen from him has just been awesome and then hurt. Well, he hit 
he hit seven home runs in his last 64 games. So I think he could be a little frustrated. I don't. I just I push back on the notion that he backed up everything he did in 2018 because I mean it was not even close to what he did in 2018. 2018 was 322 with 15 home runs in 47 games, kind of insane. I I also wonder if he's bad for Yankee Stadium because he's actually he's such a pull hitter, I believe, and he's got better road numbers, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, but it's not like Yankee Stadium is bad to left field. It's just not. You know that park that they play the Little League World Series in, right? right? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, no, uh, look, I I like him, Chris. I just a breakout means he could reach another level. Like, forget about 2018. Uh, can he be better than he was in 2019? I think a realistic ceiling for him is 285, 35 homers, and 200 runs and combined 200 run, combined runs in RBI. Yeah, that'd be pretty good, and a good on base percentage for Luke Boyd. All right, Scott, who's your favorite breakout? I I wanted to follow up on Voight if Go I ahead. could. Go ahead, yeah. Um, because I love Luke Voight, and I would love to have a lot of shares in Luke Voight because he's actually going later than he was at this time a year ago. But I think for all the playing time concerns I brought up for Diaz and Braun, they're the most pronounced for for uh, Voight. Uh, because, yeah, it was probably the fault of the sports hernia, what happened in the second half last year. But nonetheless, it opened the door for Mike Ford to get more playing time. And Mike Ford peripherally looks like a monster. And then you have Andujar, uh, Miguel Andujar coming back from injury, who probably not going to play first base, th- uh, third base. He was terrible there. And Gio Urshel obviously broke out last year. That would leave first base as the other likely spot for Miguel Andujar and their they are going to use him there some this spring, they said. So I don't know what that means for Luke Voigt. I hope he's still the guy, but there are three there uh, who all look like they deserve a chance. Would you rather have Luke Voigt or Yandy Diaz? Voigt. I'm sure I have Voigt ranked ahead, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's more of a gamble, though, I feel like. They're both kind of a gamble, but Voigt yeah, more I mean, so. Diaz well, doesn't have... Rewards. Diaz doesn't have the same upside, right? Is what I would yeah. say. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott, who's your favorite breakout? It's actually Matt Olson. I'm not sure we have. To contrast what Chris was saying earlier, I'm not sure we have seen his full ceiling yet because it's been he's had so many issues. Like his sophomore season, where the power numbers just went down for some weird reason, that is obviously just looks like a fluke at this point. The way he came back from a broken handmate bone, which usually causes a lot of power outages in the first couple months after returning. I mean, he had, it didn't affect Olsen at all. He was a monstrous power hitter from the time he returned for that. Ended up, of course, hitting 36 home runs in just 127 games. And what's crazy about it is he drastically underperformed both his XBA and his XWOBA, like 30 or 20 points lower uh, his actual numbers were than his expected numbers. And that always catches my attention. There are a couple of drawbacks that may prevent him from reaching his full potential. He's bad against lefties and he's bad at home. Obviously that's a tough park to hit in. Maybe he never overcomes that, but he hits the ball so hard. And I, I just think there's the potential for him to get better. So that's why he's somebody I'm excited to draft. I'm somewhat excited to draft at a position where I don't, I'm not willing to reach for anybody. 
and when you say bad against lefties and bad at home, sometimes that's just been batting average. Like sometimes that's been across the board, but sometimes like he has bad batting average, but at least Olsen is able to hit home runs at home or yeah. left against lefties. But yeah, that, that is certainly going to drag down at least his batting average unless he can overcome that. All right, so Matt Olsen as your breakout. And okay, how about Buss? Scott, you have six of them from what I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but number one on the list is Goldschmidt. Chris kind of already summed it up, but just to add a few details to that discussion, uh, if I can find them here. Yeah, so there were plate discipline issues happening for him beyond just the bad, well, not bad, but bad by his standards, strikeout to walk ratio. Um, He saw more first pitch strikes than ever, which to me is an indication that pitchers aren't scared of him like they used to be. He had his worst swing and miss rate, not just strikeout rate, but worst swing and miss rate since his rookie season, which might be an indication the bat's slowing down. The bigger indication the bat's slowing down, he hit just 232 against four seam fastballs. That's supposed to be the easiest type of hit, pitch to hit. And he hit 232. That's, he's a 309 career hitter against them. So, yeah, I'm worried he's, he's, this is the start of a downward trend that's age related. Interesting. Okay. Uh, give us a couple others, if you'd like, real quick. Oh, well, I talked about Hoskins. And look, if, if this swing doesn't fix him and he's that guy who was in the second half, who even with uh, walk rate, I think, still reached base at a 313 clip, the Phillies are going to have to look into somebody else at first base. It's not like there's a shortage of alternatives at that position. I mean, there are so many just bats that are loose that can be plugged in there. And uh, yeah, Hoskins got, has to get better. So I could see him having bottoming out potential. Uh, I would also, who, who did I mention? Who else did I mention here? Just Goldschmidt Hoskins that I recall. No, Yuli uh, Gurriel. Oh, okay. Yuli Gurriel was one I mentioned. Uh, um, as a bust. You I'm less concerned about him totally bottoming out than just him not coming anywhere close to what he was doing last year. Cause that was basically all July and August. And then the rest of the year, he was typical Yuli Gurriel. The fact he's in his mid thirties already, he's 35 or 36. Um, and the fact that Kyle Tucker, who with the old regime was supposed to be getting time at first base. I don't know if that's still the plan for him or not, but they're trying to work him in. Maybe he robs Gurriel some playing time and, and that would the age, if if there is regression, just statistically, and then age-related decline, and then playing time concerns on top of it, I, I don't think that's a far-fetched enough scenario that you you can just feel totally confident drafting Guriel, even at his going rate. All right, Chris, give me a bust at first base. We're not doing a DH show, are we? <laughs> no. <laughs> so... There's a player I want to talk about who's not going to play first base at all. Uh, but if we don't want to do that, he <laughs> plays two positions and neither of them are first base. If we don't want to do that. I'll throw Pete Alonso out there. Uh, I think I, I would put money. What? That, what's that? Oh, you're saying we don't want to do that, right? Okay, sorry. If we you. don't want to do that. But yeah. if, if we'll just give a real first base, which is Pete Alonso. Okay. I would put money on. I'm not a betting man myself, but I would put money on Pete Alonso's 2019 season being the best of his career. We usually don't say that with rookies. We usually expect skill sets to improve, but nobody hits 53 home runs and then improves from there. That's just not how it works. 53 home runs, 
is typically a career season. So he's either an all-time great power hitter, someone better than, like Giancarlo Stanton's only done it once, Ryan Howard did it once, I don't think Albert Pujols ever got there. Like We're talking about someone who has to be all-time great, or he's going to regress. Now that regression is being priced in, but if he's more of a 41-42 homer guy, and he's a 260 hitter, that looks pretty run-of-the-mill. That doesn't look that different from what even I'm expecting from Matt Olson, and I'm not a huge Matt Olson guy. It's not that different from what I'm expecting from Miguel Sano. It's not that different from what you typically expect from Chris Davis. So I just think you're paying a pretty high price for what was probably like a 95th percentile outcome. And in an era where everybody can hit for power, the the guy who's like, he needs to be an outlier in power to really be worth a third round pick. So to recap, the sleepers, Scott gave you Yandy Diaz. Chris gave you Ryan Braun. The breakouts, Scott said Matt Olson. Chris said Luke Voigt. The bust, Scott said Paul Goldsmith, Reese Hoskins, and Yuli Gurriel. And Chris said Pete Alonzo. I'm going to throw out another name here. Let's talk about the bust potential for. Are you ready? Mm. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cody Bellinger. Oh, yeah. Fourth overall. He's coming off a career year. He's coming off showing skills that he'd never shown before. That's an obvious bust candidate. He wasn't in my bust list, but... An obvious bust candidate is a little... Well, no, I mean, it doesn't... I'm a little little wary of the term bust for somebody like Cody Bellinger. And these these are obviously terms that are pretty loose. Bust... if, If bust just means regression and, you know, maybe he doesn't quite live up to the... To what he did last year. Okay, I'm with that. But this is kind of... I've been able to write columns, a new column that's been introduced to my repertoire is the ADP review, where I just kind of talk about underrated and overrated players. And so that has freed me up in my bust column to be more precise about how I use the term bust. And I, I mean it... I usually mean it because I think this is how it's usually interpreted when people hear, oh, that's a bust. I better stay away from him, is bottoming out. Like totally wrecking you, and I just I don't see any chance of oh, that's that not happening happen. with Bellinger. No, no, but well, I mean, I guess he kind of did that in 2018. He was actually a top seven first baseman. It was a terrible year for first baseman, but 2018 Bellinger hit 260 with 25 home runs, 14 steals in 162 games, and like 160 runs plus RBIs. If he does that, that is a total bust. If you draft him fourth overall and you get 2018 version, that is an absolute bust, no question. Even though it's not quite bottoming out, it's a terrible year for the fourth pick. Um, do you think you think that could happen again? I mean, the big difference, really, he stunk against lefties in 2018. He had a 681 OPS. And in 2017 and 19, he was great against lefties. That always scares yeah. me a little bit with lefties. They give you these random years where they stink against the same-handed pitcher. And, you know, I, I hope it doesn't happen with Bellinger. But what do you think? I mean, could could that happen? Could there anything else go wrong with him? You know, is there anything else? Any other warning signs here? Like the batting average kept on falling after the first yeah. like thirty games. Just looking at that, I just if you take Cody Bellinger from the last four months and what the batting average ended up being then, if he does that, it's going to be disappointing with the top five pick if, if that becomes his full the full season expectation. Why I don't think it will is because his strikeout rate improved so drastically. And it held during those final four months 
And his XBA, he actually underperformed it for the season, which is including that great head start he had in April and May. So I think I think the full season line is closer to real Cody Bellinger than the final four months or the final or, or the first two months, either one. The full season line is more indicative of who he actually was, and it seems to be backed up by the numbers. All right, let's go through the draft then real quick. First pick is Trout or Acuna, whatever. Trout for you, Scott, right? So who's who's the second pick and who's the third pick? Uh, second pick would be Yelich. Third pick in a points league is probably Ballinger and Roto. It's Acuna. Can't let him fall that much. But okay. in a points league, it would be Ballinger. In a standard five by five league, I would have Ballinger fourth after Trout, Yelich, and Acuna. Chris, where do you have Bellinger? Fourth. Okay. So ADP time. First, we have an email of the day. It's from Matt in Ohio. We talk about the horrible candy peeps a lot on this show. Uh, the strawberry cream heart-shaped peeps that were out for Valentine's Day are even better than regular peeps. That is all. It's horrible. <laughs> I hate strawberry-flavored things. Strawberries are fine, but strawberry-flavored things are not usually that good. They're too uh, saccharin. Saccharin. Yeah. Depends how it's being flavored with strawberries, probably, because if it's being favored with actual strawberries, but a problem. I, I don't know. I like part of my argument why I don't I don't understand why peeps are so vilified is it's just a sugar covered marshmallow. So if you're adding some kind of glaze or frosting to it, then that that presents an opportunity for downside. Yeah. Presents yeah. an opportunity for upside too. Peeps and Peeps and Butterfinger are just very interesting. They they take tried and true recipes and somehow make them bad. Butterfinger's <laughs> great. Marshmallow. Butter, Butterfinger ruined itself. Butterfinger recipe. Great. I didn't it, try. It, I got to try the new recipes. one. I still haven't tried it. it. Yeah, really. I got it. I had some at Halloween, and it was one of the ones I looked forward to most every Halloween. It tastes the same. No, it's just That's it's bad. flakier. It's bad. No. it's a horrible candy. Yeah. No. The chocolate, the chocolate, the old Butterfinger, the chocolate kind of took on some of that Butterfinger flavor itself, and now it tastes just like pure chocolate, and the inside is more peanut buttery. It, it probably tastes more authentic, actually, in terms of the ingredients that's being used in it, but it, it just it just ruined it. They just The flavor's just, the flavor of the chocolate and the peanut butter just doesn't mesh right anymore. Well, if Scott doesn't like it, I probably will. On to average draft <laughs> position. Bellinger's fourth overall. Freeman is 16th overall. I might have said 17th earlier. He's 16th. Pete Alonso's going in round three. Big gap then to Anthony Rizzo in round five. DJ LeMayhew in round six. Looking forward to talking about him tomorrow on the second base preview. Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Max Muncy, Jose Abreu. I don't think... And Josh Bell. That's round six through seven and maybe the beginning of round eight. I feel like we've covered all of this. You guys have anything to say about them, or are we good? I do draft a lot of DJ LeMayhew, but not to play first base. Usually to play second base, which is weaker than first base. I think think he's being downgraded too much because of skepticism over what he did, which the skepticism's warranted. I mean, guy in his 30s having a... reaching a level he'd never had before, but, I mean, if he's even three-quarters of that, this is a... The great value. Yeah, he's going around 60th overall, beginning of round six, a little yeah. bit after Anthony Rizzo. In AL only. 
he's probably a first baseman. First base gets torched in AL. So he's, yeah, I know he shows up first in my first base rankings for AL. Where's he eligible? First and second? Is that it? Or third also? And third. Third. Yeah, I mean, yep. that's so valuable in AL only. All right, so that's DJ LeMahieu we're talking about. After that group of first basemen in round six and seven, Trey Mancini, Reese Hoskins go in round nine. And then you got you got two to three rounds before you get to Carlos Santana. That's in Roto. He'll go earlier in points. Yuli Gurriel and Danny Santana. Uh, can we talk about Mancini a little bit more? Scott, you, you seem to be pro Mancini. He had a good rookie year. He had a really bad sophomore season. He was great last year. Kind of sounds a lot like uh, Cody Bellinger, just to a, a smaller scale. And, yeah, I mean, Mancini, it's not like it was, hey, he had a big first half and then was bad. Like He just kept it going. His numbers after the All-Star break were about the same as before. Uh, yeah, so it, what what is uh, the what are the range of outcomes for, for Trey Mancini? Uh, the range of outcomes is 2018 and 2019. Okay. <laughs> Mancini in 2018, he batted 242 with 24 homers. 2019, he was a top seven first baseman, top 15 outfielder. He batted 291 with 35 homers. Go ahead. Yeah, so much better play discipline both on the strikeout and walk end. He improved the launch angle. Um, he hit the ball harder too, though maybe not enough to really feel confident that's going to stick. But he always hit the ball pretty hard. The big, his biggest issues in the past where he was hardly walked at all and he put the ball on the ground way too much. And uh, he took care of both of those problems last year. So it's a situation where if he was actually being drafted at the level he performed at a year ago, I he'd probably be on my bust list just because I see too much potential for downside. But he's getting drafted nowhere close to that. And he was basically... I mean, he was poor. He was more Paul Goldschmidt than Paul Goldschmidt last year. He was, gosh, he, what's a good comparison for how he performed? Like good source of batting average, thirty-five plus homers. It's pretty Goldschmidty. Yeah, without the steals, it pretty much was Paul, a Paul, typical Paul Goldschmidt well, season and with less, with sixty-three walks, one hundred forty-three strikeouts. I mean, Goldschmidt much better than that in his heyday. Right, but, but just talking about the five-by-five yeah, categories. Yeah, yeah pretty good. Um, yeah. But for some reason, I mean, Goldschmidt used to be the number one first base, but Mancini was number seven. So well, not quite an as environment good. thing. And also Goldschmidt in the days he was number one with steel bases. True, yeah. true. Okay, uh, after Mancini, Carlos Santana, is he is he a top 12 first baseman in a roto league, Santana? Should be. I originally ranked him as such, and maybe I still do. He doesn't get drafted like that. He gets close. You feel close, more confident though. in him than Reese Hoskins. I do. Yeah, I, I think everybody should. And I rank him ahead of Reese. Okay, so I have Carlos Santana eleventh in a roto league, and I have Reese Hoskins twelfth. Boom. In a in a five by five though, like last year he hit, I think what two ninety or something. He's usually a two sixty hitter with twenty five home runs. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's actually kind of. Crummy. He's, he's so, and he plays like 160 games. He plays a lot of games to get those mm-hmm. stats up. So he's not a category standout unless he increased his ground ball rate. Carlos Santana, maybe that'll help the batting average. He hit the ball much harder, but yeah, he's not. But exciting. that kind of normalized in the second half. Yes, in did. terms of 
Like he he was a guy who he's because he's never struck out much, right? That's part of the reason why he's so good in points leagues. But he profiled for a low batting average anyway because he put so many balls in the air, and he stopped putting so many in the air in the first half last year, and that's part of the reason why he hit 297 for the first half. But then he had 262 in the second half. Everything kind of went back to normal. So it's it's it, he probably won't be as good in 2020 as he was in 2019, and nobody's expecting him to be. That's why he's getting drafted where he is. But still. He did bankable production there. That was that's the that's another big thing we haven't mentioned is cut that pop up rate basically in half. Yeah, I think that personally, I'd rather have Encarnacion than Santana in a in a roto league, not a points league. I can't agree with you there. (laughs) Can't do that. More bust potential for Encarnacion. I get it, but more power for sure. And like thirty picks later or something like that. Uh, Yuli Gurriel, Danny Santana. Let's do like a kind of a rapid fire. I say a name, you guys give me some feedback. Uh, Danny Santana, round 12 pick. I understand it given the need for speed. Everybody goes earlier than they should if they're capable of stealing bases. But um, look, he hits the ball really hard. It's just such awful plate discipline that I, I'm skeptical he can do it again in terms of the hitting production. Yeah, and he really slumped down the stretch, too. Maybe they figured him out. Danny Santana. How about Hunter Dozier? Did you know who? Here, here's a fun trivia question. Who had a higher OPS in 2019, Hunter Dozier or Glaber Torres? It's got to be Hunter Dozier. Glaber Torres did, but it was one point. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good for you throwing us off. That's great trivia. Uh, Yeah, no, he was really good. Now, obviously, Glaber Torres was much better for fantasy because... He hit 12 more home runs, but it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if you got fairly similar production from the two of them next year. You know, Glaber, obviously, in a much better lineup. Uh, yeah, I have I was high up on Dozier for most of last year, you might remember, but you may there remember was such me. a regression in the second half that, yeah, I'm not... I mean, in terms of the actual numbers, there wasn't. Maybe it wasn't divided first and second half. I know he started striking out a lot more down the stretch. And... He also had a weird year where he hit 10 triples, which is not something that you should expect Hunter Dozier to ever do again. <laughs> so the question is whether, you know, five of those or seven of those triples turn into outs, whether they turn into home runs, whether they turn into doubles, that's going to play a, a big I, part in his season. I guess that the division was more first two months. He was awesome. Last four months, he was pretty ordinary. I think he's... Probably closer to ordinary moving forward. Brandon Lau. I just, I'm not really drafting any Rays. It's just, it's way too much of a headache to try to figure out what the playing time is going to be there. If you do draft him, it's probably for second base, and you can only count on power. Uh, Ryan McMahon. There's a decent chance he's not a major league player. Mm. And he's second base eligible too, right? Yeah, but you you look at like he he looks like just a Coors guy. I I could see that going the other way too. I his batted ball profile isn't that impressive, but obviously he has pedigree, he has minor league track record, and he was good enough as in his first full season that I I don't think they even if things went really wrong for him, I don't think they'd give up on him. That's I he could totally be a breakout player this year. Yeah, but he was, like, for fantasy, 
for fantasy, he could be, but he was a pretty bad real life player last year. But is there playing well, time? Probably, isn't he isn't he in a you know, there's Daniel Murphy, there's Garrett Hampson, there's Ryan McMahon. Right. That's what I'm saying. If and, like three of those guys perform better and you, you throw in uh Brennan Rogers from from the minors too, if three of those four guys perform better than him early on, I could easily see him being buried. He had an eighty seven OPS plus last year. He was not good. Uh, he probably moves to first base in the long run, which helps. Uh, I I don't see much left in the tank for Daniel Murphy. Do you see anything left in the tank for Votto or or Murphy? You said no on Mur- Murphy, but Votto or Murphy? I could see it with both. I'm not coming close to betting on it with either. How about Eric Hosmer's useless, right? Basically. Yeah. You could yeah. pick him up and he'll you know, hopefully get some RBI. A little, uh, <laughs> little interested in Christian Walker. I like Christian Walker. The bad ball numbers are really, really interesting with him. Um, mm-hmm. He should play in Arizona. I, I, I can't think of a reason why he wouldn't play every day, at least to start. And uh, there is, there's some sneaky sleeper potential there. Yeah, that, that that's a good sleeper pick too, in, in terms of, like he doesn't even go get drafted sometimes, even though he almost hit 30 home runs last year. There is Kevin Crone who put up crazy triple A numbers. And I know a lot of people are hoping he gets a shot at some point. So maybe if Walker slumps, there's a transition that happens there. There's also Jake Lamb who makes really hard contact. He was terrible in terms of the numbers he put up last year, but this is all contingent on Walker slumping. If Walker slumps out of the gate, then I think other guys get a chance and maybe he gets buried. But if he's the guy he was last year, then he'll be a great value. And then Mark Canna is not first base eligible, right? For us? Not for us. Nope. But he goes so late. I mean, he goes after Walker, Hosmer, Votto. Then it's Mark Canna. He's going to be one of our favorites. We already talked about that. Al came on and said he likes Mark Canna. Uh, Renato Nunez, CJ Crone, Nate Lowe. We can end the show on those guys. Renato Nunez, CJ Crone, Nate Lowe. I hate the park that CJ Crone's playing in, but he should play every day. And his stack has numbers last year were really, really good. He probably would have hit 30 homers if he'd stayed healthy. He's on Detroit My, now. Tigers. Yep, Detroit. Yep. My favorite deep sleepers at this position are Nate Lowe is one of them. Mike Ford, who I mentioned for the Yankees. And the one who might be the safest bet for playing time, Ryan Mountcastle of the Orioles, who deserved to be up at the end of last year, but then being a rebuilding team, there was no way they could justify it. Uh, He'll be up early this year and playing every day and should be like, maybe as good as like a Nick Castellanos type bat. What about Evan White for the Mariners? Yeah, they signed it to a long-term deal, so the presumption is he's going to be everyday player from the get-go. I'm He ranks high as a prospect because he's like this defensive standout and he makes contact at a good enough rate. He showed some power last year. I'm just not particularly given that he's going to be playing in Seattle. I'm not confident there's going to the power is going to measure up at the position. So I'm not I'm not really anointing him a sleeper. Cool. All right, guys. Good stuff on first base. Second base preview tomorrow. And until then, I'm Adam for Scott and Chris. Have some peeps. 
Uh, no, don't actually don't do that. They're terrible. Do talk, to, talk yeah. to you Wednesday. Don't, don't do it. <laughs>